The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. I'm sure all of you have heard an immigrant hating white nationalist armed with at least two assault rifles and a shotgun is the suspect in the deaths of at least 49 worshippers attending Friday prayers at mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. Two other armed suspects are in custody. The Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, condemned the ideology of the people behind the Uh, the attack. You may have chosen us, but we utterly reject and condemn you. So the suspect wore a helmet camera and live streamed the massacre on social media. Facebook says it has removed the video. YouTube and Twitter are still working on it. The suspect is a 28-year-old Australian. Now joining us now is uh, Mubin Shak, uh, former security intelligence and counterterrorism operative and now an expert in radicalization, uh, de-radicalization and national security. Welcome to the show. I'm sure I butchered your name. Oh, I think you got it right, Mubin Sheikh, yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, not bad. Mubin, let's start uh, with this. I mean, um, I mean, you, I mean, your story, which um, I'd like to get into a little bit. Um, you've seen a lot of things. Uh, last night when you heard about this, I mean, I think we were all shocked maybe, but not surprised. Is that how you felt? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was actually about to go to bed, and then my phone just started, uh, the alerts just started going off, and so I knew very quickly that something terrible had happened. But, I mean, look, we're living in an age of terrorism, right? And uh, I know we've been kind of primed to always expect uh, ISIS-related terrorism, but really we're seeing a a symbiotic union with far-right extremism, right? A lot of the anti-Muslim hatred or Islamophobia, whatever you want to call it, is largely the result of ISIS, right? So, so now we are we are facing this problem where now two, you know, symbiotic streams of extremism are rising, and if we keep our focus only on one, obviously we miss the other one, and that's what happened uh, in New Zealand. So, yeah, exactly. These uh, the individual uh, supposedly not on the radar of any law enforcement. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, leakage as well. The, you know, in past conversations, we've talked about how law enforcement is able to uh, sort of, you know, get some sort of advance warning of this sort of activity through leakage, but there was none of that either. Um, can you can you talk to leakage and and just how important that is in keeping an eye on people on social media? Yeah, I mean, look, the the whole discourse on you know, quote unquote, keeping an eye on people on social media assumes a number of things, right? That the police are even watching the group to begin with. Mm. And uh, I think what's happened is far-right extremism hasn't really been taken as seriously. And, and there's good reason for that, actually. I mean, I have said that unless they start attacking people like ISIS attacks people, the authorities won't respond to it in the same way. That's just the reality, right? When people die in public places, policies change. Government direction changes, and so I'm sure that, uh, you know, instructions and directions are given now to agencies to start looking more into this. And the other side of this is that our security agencies are already overwhelmed by ISIS-related extremism cases. So the workload is going up, but, you know, are the hires also Mm -hmm. going up? So at least in the Canadian context, there have been more hires for the Security Intelligence Service uh, and, and and I hope that allows them to be able to look more into these things. But that is really the only way. So I'm not surprised that he wasn't on a watch list. 
But the individual was posting on 4chan, mm-hmm. and it was exactly. also on 8chan. You know, he posted his weapons, uh, like I think it was yeah. on Wednesday, a couple of days before. So so it was out there, but eyes weren't on it. So, Mubin, I, one of the questions, you touched on it here. My, my, one of my questions is going to be, is Canada paying enough attention to far-right extremism, and what else do we need to do? You talked about more hires. You talked about um, them being, you know, uh, overtaxed with the workload right now. What else does this country need to do? Look, it has to be a public-private partnership. I mean, it's the same, exact same thing that we're dealing with when it, when it comes to ISIS. You know, we need uh, trusted intermediaries, uh, individuals from the communities who can speak intelligently to the topic. So one of the reasons, you know, I get calls all the time is because I'm known as a person in, my, in this area of competency, right, ISIS-related terrorism. But, you know, uh, I've been studying other kinds of extremism as well, and we have, you know, former white supremacists uh, who are out there who are not just training police, but also training school educators and other community-type organizations. And people need to know where that line is. Look, you can love your people and love your tribe, but as soon as you start saying, well, all members of that tribe are, you know, not Canadian or not included, once you start going down that road, then it leads to dehumanization, which then causes this kind of violence. So. We do need to have a conversation that where is that line for us? But, you know, I'm, I'm curious your take on this. You know, we uh, what is a guy who's driving a truck right now listening to this show or, uh, you know, a, a woman in the office uh, doing whatever listening to the show? Um, what are they supposed to do? You, you, do you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. you see these far extreme views on your Facebook page or you think, oh, gosh, you know, my Uncle Ted's a bit of a race. You know what I mean? What are we supposed to do? Yeah, it's a difficult question. I mean, look, first of all, for people who are listening, I mean, ask yourself, do you, do you know Muslims? I mean, have you actually had conversations with them, had some of their food? You know, people, we need to, you know, get to know each other more. And, and I think that's um, a key component. I mean, and the other aspect of it is we all feel this. We all feel, you know, uh, struck in some way. Whether whether you're the Muslim person who feels victimized because your tribe has been victimized, or even white people who are like, these people have nothing to do with us, right? And it's very similar to when, you know, Muslims are saying, oh, these guys who are doing this killing, they have nothing to do with us. It's an extreme minority. They don't represent our values. So now, you know, if I can say, white people feel this as well, right? And it just shows you that we are all facing the same kind of threat, the same kind of problem. And uh, and I gave some solutions. I think uh, I think we just need to learn about each other more. That's that's the only way and the best way that we're going to get past it. Aren't we somewhat hand handcuffed by the fact? I don't know how to put this, so I'll just blurt it out. So something like this happens, and one of the first thing I can tell you as somebody who talks on the radio. Uh, you know, we suffer the same shock as everyone else, and we're taken aback by it. And then the next thought is, okay, how do we refer to it? Um, what do we call it? Um, how do we characterize it? Should we, uh, you know, should we stay away from a mental health aspect? To it? it feels like part of the problem here is that we're kind of handcuffed by, you know, wanting to say and do the right things. And, and that, I feel like, contributes further to the problem of, of what you're talking about, of communicating with one another. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, we, we, shouldn't, we should just be clear. I mean, we, we know extremism of all kinds, 
you know, it, it matches a particular definition, right? I mean, targeting a particular group uh, with violence at public places based on an ideology, this is the textbook definition of terrorism. And so when we see anything that matches that description, we use that word. Now, unfortunately, we were also caught up in this whole ISIS environment where, uh, you know, you get individuals who are some who are ideologically driven, some who might have some mental health issues. And, and a lot of times, because the, the crime is so severe, we don't want to kind of think, you know what, maybe this person did have some mental issues, because I think psychologically we feel that we're lessening or kind of uh, uh, desensitizing ourselves to the severity of the offense, and that's not true. What we're trying to do is we're trying to explain it, not justify it, mm. or or you know uh, uh, cast a, you know doubts over the story. So we do need to write, use the right words, uh, and the right word in this case is terrorism. And you know some people have been using mass murder, for example. Now, is mass murder worse than terrorism? Right? I would say it is. Uh, but because of the politicization of the word terrorism, where we kind of focus it to mean only one particular community, that's when we, we start to kind of, our communication breaks down. So we just got to call it what it is, as simple as that, and, and, and condemn it and, you know, move on. Mubin Sheikh joining us this afternoon. Mubin, there's a text that just came in, and I, I just want you to expand on it a little bit. Uh, a little bit. It says, Jalen and Andrew, I'm not trying to be a dink here, but I have a legitimate question. Where were the condemnation? Where was the con- condemnation when ISIS affiliates blew up a Catholic church in the Philippines two months ago, killing 20 worshippers and injuring dozens? Did you, did Trudeau condemn it? Did the radio station even spend much time talking about how terrible it was? If not, then why? That's from Jason, and I, I and sure. I guess what I want is it seems whenever you know something like this happens and we start paying attention to it someone just said why are you paying attention it happened mm-hmm. in New Zealand and it's some nutcase out of Australia it almost turns into a well you didn't t- do this but you're doing this now it's almost like a a battle well it is it's a battle yes. of these two sides or you're glorifying or you're it go- by even talking it is, about right? it it's or, like yeah. one side is better than the other what do you say to to, to a question like that I, I don't even know if you can yeah, I mean, look, we've been living with, you know, jihadist-related terrorism since at least 9-11, we can say, in mm-hmm. a significant way. So, I mean, look at it. We're in 2019. I mean, like 18 years of this stuff that we've been consuming and feeding and so on. So the frustrations are real, right? And, uh, you know, whenever attacks do happen, I mean, unfortunately, if we keep expecting the Muslim community to condemn every single attack, and I personally feel that I do personally need to, con- to to condemn every single attack. I feel personally I need to do that because I'm a Muslim. Uh, but you know, I understand when the public when the public asks that, and you should look for these condemnations. Like Muslims are um, falling over themselves sometimes, uh, you know, to to co- to get out and condemn those kinds of attacks. Whether it's the Catholic churches that were hit in the Philippines. Uh, of course, I personally spoke on that, but I'm not aware if the prime minister spoke about that particular yeah. issue. But it's a, it's a real concern. I mean, the, the persecution that is happening to Christians, uh, in uh, especially in ISIS territory, mm-hmm. uh, these, these are valid concerns and valid grievances. So I think what we need to tell ourselves is that, well, when an attack happens, do I, do I look for those condemnations from the Muslim community or... 
do I assume that they're not condemning and then ask, hey, how come they don't condemn these attacks? So I can assure you that, I mean, they all fall over themselves trying to condemn the attack, but condemnation of terrorism is not the same as countering of terrorism. Yeah. And that's the angle that I like to come from. You know what, uh, moving yesterday on this show, at this time, we had a former um, white supremacist on this show. His name is uh, Arno Michaelis, who is oh, yeah. now, you know, Arno. Good friend of mine. Yeah, okay. And, you know, it was just a fascinating conversation and um, very interesting as he talked about how it happened to him, right? How he got involved and then his struggle to get out. Um, can you can you expand? Can you... Can you shed a bit more light as we try to all the time on radicalization and specifically online radicalization? Sure. Uh, Arno McHale is a really, really good friend of mine. Actually, I met him in 2011. Google at the time held a summit against violent extremism and they brought four categories of people. Ex-white supremacists, ex-Islamists, that was the category I was in, uh, uh, ultra-nationalists, and urban street gangs. <laughs> And basically compared and contrasted how these individuals got into these groups and what kept them in the group and what got them out of the group. So there's a multiplicity of factors involved, right? Uh, there are personal issues, if you want to call them personal failure issues, uh, whether they're, you know, mental health issues or trauma, even as they're growing up, so especially in white supremacist uh, families or, or networks. A lot of these kids do grow up with uh, alcoholism and abuse in the family. Uh, which a lot of times leads to truancy in uh, in society, like gang members, especially in the U.S. or wherever. Same kind of dynamic. So this idea of young, you know, a young, angry, disaffected, disenfranchised, aggrieved person uh, finding a group, right, that represents belonging to a tribe, especially where you feel that your tribe is excluded, or you yourself, because you belong to a particular tribe, you're excluded you are, of course, going to gravitate towards those who say, no, 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 it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. In fact, here are our your brothers that will stand with you and become your new family and brotherhood. And this kind of discourse is the same across all groups, whether you're talking about jihadists or so on. I mean, in the late 90s, even when I was a cheerleader for uh, you know, jihadist terrorism, we, we looked for people who, who had these views, who were angry, who were maybe, you know, this uh, kind of uh, even alienated from their families because of their choices. So it's a, it's an it's a ongoing issue across the board, across the world. Uh, Muslims and non-Muslims everywhere, white youth. Look at what this guy said, right? I'm just a regular white 28-year-old coming from a blue-collar family. Mm. And and I think that's an important point because he's saying like I'm I'm, I'm just a regular guy that came from these you know regular uh, communities, and so. Again, that sense of meaning, sense of belonging, a grievance, an ideology, these are core components of why people get radicalized. You know, you, you brought it up and you, you had said uh, that, that you're you're an ex-Islamist. Now, just a little bit of background again. We're talking with Muvin Sheikh. He's a former security intelligence and counterterrorism operative with CSIS. So you have an interesting story. And as I'm reading it more and more, I'm like, oh, I know this guy. I've seen documentaries about this guy. I've seen, I've seen you know, special reports on, on, on Mubin. Now, um, you had become involved and then got out and then you went back in, but working undercover with CSIS and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police um, joining the Toronto 18 um, doing undercover work when you went back in there after having been out and you know taken your life back 
how difficult was it to walk that tightrope? And did it really open your eyes even more about the world that you had been living in and that the world that now you're fighting against? Yeah, it was a complete switch for my life. I mean, basically, long story short, uh, you know, I got radicalized in 95. Uh, I kept that up for about five, six years. When the 9-11 attacks happened, it really shook me and it made me reconsider my commitment to that cause. I then spent a couple of years studying Arabic and Islamic studies, uh, went through a period of de-radicalization, um, I was overseas. And, and honestly, I had a newfound appreciation for being a Muslim in Canada. Mm. And so in 2004, when I would return back from Syria, I became what was called a walk-in to the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. Mm. And I did, you know, a couple of years undercover work in a number of cases. And one of those cases became the last case uh, because it became a public prosecution. And now I was completely exposed. I willingly exposed my identity, uh, you know, to follow through with the prosecution uh, of that case. So it was eight months operational undercover and four years of court. So I got the whole spectrum, not just my personal experience, not just the operational mm but how even courts prosecute these things and how you even collect evidence on these people. You know, we're talking about online radicalization and people posting all sorts of things and horrible things, celebrating the attacks. I mean, it's no different than when ISIS commits an attack that their cheerleaders get on social media and say, yeah, we got you, Kufar, we're coming back for more. It's the exact same thing on the flip side, right? Uh, so... You know, when the, the police, the RCMP have already said they're well aware of the Yellow Vest movement, Yellow Vest in particular. There was an assassination threat that came out against the prime minister from these groups. Uh, so they're definitely being watched. Uh, technology companies need to also be mm. forthright with the authorities, which yeah. they are. So somebody who's posting from a computer somewhere in wherever, they're going to find you. <laughs> they're going to find you exactly what computer you're using. So... I think, unfortunately, it's going to take something like this, an attack like this, for everyone else to wake up and say, oh, my God, we cannot have this happen again. How do we prevent this from happening? And so I'm, I'm certain that there are a lot of questions, a lot of discussions being happened at the at very high levels in the various intelligence services now. You know, and at the end of the day, I suppose, regardless of which uh, end of the spectrum your radicalization falls, this is exactly the result that they're hoping for mayhem chaos and fear that's right yeah interesting well, conversation thank you so much for joining us this afternoon i i uh i'd, I'd uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future thank you so much thank you the six thirty chad afternoon news with jaylen nye and andrew gross weekdays at two on six thirty chad